Welcome to the Nix, where we talk about pop culture until we can't stand it anymore, and we nix it. I'm Fanny Darling. And I'm Justin Hartung. As always, quick warning that there may be spoilers for anything we talk about on this podcast, but we are going to do our best to let you know they're coming. This episode, we're doing a water cooler of sorts. We're going to talk about the finales of Bad Sisters and Rings of Power. Justin's got thoughts on a slew of new music releases this week, including the latest from this little-known indie artist you may have heard of. Her name is Taylor Swift. As always, a plea to rate and review us on wherever you can find us. It's not even in our notes anymore, but maybe you could do it. Um, we both watched a few things. Should We should talk about them, I guess? Yeah, we'll talk about the things that we both saw, and uh, one of which we talked about last week, last week, last episode, it's been a while, uh, Bad Sisters. Uh, if you've not um, heard about the show at all, go back and listen to our last episode to hear us talk about the at least first half of it or whatever point we were yeah, at. Yeah, we were yeah. two-thirds. Uh, so this is the Apple TV show. Quick recap, uh, Sharon Horgan adapting a Flemish. Uh, and apparently it was just a movie. Like, it was just quickly, a movie. Yeah, oh, I read an article, okay. an interview with her that it was like two-hour movie that she... Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay, which I want to see now. Me too. Um, and it's a, you know, a, a plot about basically four sisters who hate the fifth sister's husband in in ireland and because they should and plot to kill him sort of ineptly uh as bad sisters and um apparently it also means bad at murder because they tried a lot <laughs> uh we're gonna go with full spoilers so if you have not seen this show and you're interested in it because i feel like it's finally everybody's starting to catch up with it right. and talk about it it's great i think we both are just like go Turn this off immediately and go watch it. Yep. Come uh, back when, when you're done. This yeah. is your warning. We'll see you in 10 minutes. Right now we're going full spoilers. <laughs> what did you think of the finale and the show as a whole? Did it change anything? I I, I, I thought the finale was great. I really enjoyed it. I, um, I was satisfied with the ending. I was satisfied with the way that they managed for everybody to be okay except for JP because he's dead and that's okay because he should be dead because we hate him and he and that gleefulness of we're not even going to apologize that we're you know that he's dead I I glad it wasn't Blannard I'm glad it was Grace yeah we Um, had for anyone listening we had theories about Maybe the daughter did it, and we were wrong. Like, which by if by I guess accident, I'm happy. yeah, I would have figured if she'd done it, she'd done it by accident. And yeah. They all had to cover up for her. Right. Um, but the the closing scene of Grace's smile just it did my heart well. I I sat and I cried with these sisters, and I love that they found a way for the the insurance bros to be okay. Um, that they went that they circled back to Becca still being upset about minna but you know moving you know that's something she's going to have to live with and and it's not completely gone but it is going to be okay and she is still a good person yeah. and um and in a weird way i don't think minna minded <laughs> you know it's <laughs> like minna minna lived a good life and got to go be with her husband and her she knew her husband was down there which was an interesting thing to find out i i i there's no place for this show to go for a second season God, and right? and do yeah. not come back for it. But f- 
find this cast and give them something else to do together because god it was good and fun and it hinged so much on the performances of jp and grace of those two actors who were so good and he was so detestable and yet layered he wasn't just he was evil in many different ways he was just evil but in so many varied and awful ways that he played it so well. You yeah. Know, he wasn't just a, a mustache twirling villain. Yeah, it's not you've just known, camp. It's no, weird. It's like you've known really, this guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. So good. And Grace's just turning into this husk of a person who's walking on eggshells and just would like for something to be okay for more than 15 minutes. And God. And yet also funny and sweet and delightful and a family. I just, I thought this was a great show. I loved it. Everybody should watch it. I want this whole cast to, I want this cast to be American Horror Story and do something with them every year. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. I totally agree. I think it's worth watching. I did have an initial reaction and I'm curious to hear your thoughts because I, my first reaction was the reveal of the rape of Sharon Horgan's character. Um, cause I think that was only revealed in the finale. It was only finale. revealed in the finale, yes. It, it felt jarring in a reveal way to me of like the tone, like within the tone of the show, I was like, holy shit, this is so heavy. And my first reaction was like, ah, like you just sort of snuck that in. Did it feel like a cheap kind of way to, I mean, they snuck in his dead father that he was keeping. Yeah. In I mean, I didn't find it like, it, I mean. I kind of understand what you're saying, but I didn't have that feeling. I had that feeling of, oh, this is, this is that she didn't remember that she was drunk, that this is, and Grace probably kind of knew. And it's revealed in that scene because her first reaction is, you raped my sister. Not, what are you talking about? She knew that that was something he was capable of. And she kind of suspected that he'd done it. And it, I, I thought that scene played well. My reaction was a little like, oh, like this takes this show to a different place that I wasn't kind of just in the headspace for with the, that finale. But then the more I sat with it, the more I thought back on her performance. And yep. I feel like if you watched it again, I'm going to, you yes. would see all those threads of trauma. Yep. Like that you didn't quite understand. And then it's like actually like, and why he was so hell bent on destroying yeah. her at work. Cause he didn't want her to ever, if she ever said anything, he, yeah. she had to be, he had to be defensible. He had to be like, Oh, well she's drunk. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And, and it's so just the culture of like, you don't talk about it until mm-hmm. you the push comes to shove. And especially with the people you yep. love, like, but that um, switch for me, that switch when she instantly was like, wasn't like, what are you talking about? What happened when the minute he brought it up, when she, she said, knew. you raped my sister. Yeah. That yeah. was it, you know, yeah. and you know, how could you? Yeah. And it was like, oh, honey, you kind of knew he was capable of this and that maybe he'd done it this right. whole time yeah. and you shoved it down, you poor baby. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't like, oh, you made excuses for him. It was, I felt like you poor, sweet baby, yeah. you even had to hide this from yourself, you know, and you couldn't even feel bad for your sister. You had to even hide this. It broke my heart. Yeah. No, it was really... There's a part of me that's like, oh, this is so heavy. Like, Sharon Horgan is so good that you're just like, oh, like, part of me feels like I... Well, the scene where they all talk about it is so lovely and and not not particularly heavy. I mean, 
a, a lot of emotion, but it didn't, right. you know, they were all still just so there for each other. Yeah. And I got to tell you, then the, the closing scene where Blannard is still being a teenager, but then she sticks her head back in and says, Mom, I love you. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Jesus. Okay, these people. Uh, oh, wait. Let honey, me, I've been yeah. there where it's yeah. like, oh, we're st- you're still a teenager and we're still going to fight. Yeah. But we got, things are better now. Yeah. You know, it was, I, and I'm, I was great totally with you that i don't i hope i can't imagine they do anymore no i don't i don't like think a, sharon horgan would like do that a, she's yeah, so smart the actors are so good and just any combination of them i would watch yep. absolutely <laughs> absolutely i was so um, thrilled when matt uh went and told uh you know he goes to the hospital and the i have a daughter and he's like and you don't have to play the pay the case and and it's funny i was about five minutes ahead of every reveal oh yeah because i was yeah. like Oh, they're just going to just not pay it. Right. So she doesn't get the money. She has to sell the house, but they don't go bankrupt. And, and oh, it's all going to yeah. be okay. Yeah. That was a good sort of way out of that, I thought. And also, man, uh, sorry for getting her name, but Bono's daughter. Eve. Uh, I always want to say Houston, but it is. It's Eve Houston. Wow. What a star. Like, yeah, she's that's, great. Can't wait to she's see what she does so next. Good. Such a nice, weird surprise. Yep. I'm all ready to like, like nepotism, blah, blah, blah. But no, man, she's so you, good. You've earned it. <laughs> Um, cool. So yeah, I think definitely go watch that if you haven't. Um, yeah, if you've listened to this and <laughs> we just spoiled it for you, sorry, but still go watch it. It's but we good. did warn you. Yeah. <laughs> um, on a totally different uh, tack here, we yeah. watched uh, Midnight Club, um, which is which is not the retelling of Fall from the House of Usher with <laughs> with Raoul Cook. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, it's not the Mike Flanagan that I thought it was going to be. Right. Um, this is a Christopher Pike adaptation. Is that right? I yes, that is correct. Um, this is a Flanagan adaptation of this 90s uh, sort of... Late 90s. Yeah. Um, Christopher Pike, he was almost... He was YA? sort of goose... It it's YA. Yeah, okay. Sort of goosebumpy. Uh, the when, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark and all of that stuff yeah. was pretty popular on Netflix. That same type of time. Heather Langenkamp is in it of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street fame, the original kind of final girl of that uh, series. Uh, It is about a bunch of kids in a mysterious institute where they're getting treated for various illnesses. They tell stories. uh, Yeah, it's like a hospice. To spook each other a hospice. Um, Yeah. What did you think of this? Did you watch any more than the two episodes we watched? No, I didn't watch any more than the two episodes we watched because it wasn't Mike Flanagan's fall from the house of Usher with Raul Raul Cooley, which is what I wanted. Um, So, no, I didn't watch any more. It was fine. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It was a whole bunch of manufactured jump scares (laughs) on the screen that I not... So this was care. famous for having the most jump scares in the whatever the like first on or the page. episode on the on the page and um it, it's kind of a joke when they do it but you're also like did like did you know this was did you start this as a joke like what it's so yeah. but it to me is just like wow you don't have anything else interesting going on here it's, yeah every cliche of every like sick terminal kid sort of sob story there's the angry irish one there's the like holistic one there's the rich one there's the you know uh gay kid there's the uh i can't think of what i want but yeah the it's all of them 
And it's not remotely scary. No. Like, it's just, like, not scary. I don't even think it's very that, like, very atmospheric. No, um, it was not for me. Yeah. I'm bummed out. Although, I'm I'm kind of learning. I just, I'm, I, I gotta say Flanagan's not my thing. I'm just, like, not really resonating and see, with him. he is my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I yeah. mean, except for Haunting of Hill House, which is not his fault. Right. The fault of that lies in the fact that. I don't think anybody is ever going to touch a Shirley Jackson in a way that makes me happy except for the haunting. And I am such a diehard, died in the wool, do not fuck with any of her words. Everything she does is perfect. Shirley Jackson, just read it on the page. And if you cannot translate it exactly the way it is on the page, I don't want to see it. Shirley Jackson person. Yeah. That... It didn't matter what he did with Haunting of Hill House. It was not going to be my thing. Yeah. I don't give a shit about Henry James. So Bly Manor was like, yes, please make that's, it this wonderful queer. That's the, my favorite know, thing that I've seen from him. Because it's great. Yeah. And it was so, you know, touching and and because I don't care about Henry James. You know, yeah. like I didn't like Turn of the, Screw, uh, of the Screw when I read it. I was like, this is boring. Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. So... He really I, leaned into the charm of the actors. The very cast much in that did, one. and so I'm very much looking for. And I liked Midnight. Mass, I know, yeah, which um, I still need which to Which I do think, shot, if but, you went back, yeah. you would enjoy in the same type of way as Bly Manor. I think with I, a better TV, where I could see the dark scenes. I think that would help. You can come over to my house. I have a new <laughs> exactly. TV. You can see shit on it. It's really amazing. Um, and so I am looking forward for it to to the the House of Usher in that same type of way. Yeah. Same, it's his core actors. You know, it's it's Raúl and Henry uh, Thomas and all of those actors that that he gets such good performances of with, from, and that respect the hell out of him. They seem like they're all really close. Yeah. And so, and I like Edgar Allan Poe. I I was the fourth grader that carried around my um, complete works of Edgar Allan Poe. I'm not kidding, um, but I'm not attached to them in the way that I am with Shirley Jackson. Like, you can do an adaptation and fuck with his shit, and I'm okay. Yeah. Um, so. This one was just, it's, it just doesn't work. I, can, I don't even know who it wor- would work for. It's yeah. not like, I can't imagine, like, I do, teens watching this. And... I don't want to say anything maligning, okay. but it's it works for a certain bunch of people that I know peripherally. Interesting. Okay. People that are of an age where there's nostalgia around the actual property, around the books, or... Yes, and not people that I know well. This works for a certain group of writer people that I know that are of a certain age and super into that type of twee thing. And I don't... I like these people very much. We do not agree with a lot of different kinds of media. Yeah, yeah. Um, Not our thing. Midnight Club. Didn't finish it. Will not continue even. No. Um, was our thing forgot to put in the notes which is something that we were both unexpectedly I think really enjoying Werewolf by Night the Marvel series um, about a werewolf movie movie special presentation Uh, this is an hour long max under that I think yeah I think it was like 55 Um, minutes it's uh, Gail Gabriel Garcia it's uh, Harriet Harris it's um uh yeah this is a black and white retro universal monster movie thing but with like a little more kind of gore amped up in it uh it's really lean it's really silly it's really sweet and fun so good um yeah you like this right i loved it yeah i just adored it and i have recommended it to so many people it was just 
was a great hour of television. It was that wonderful nostalgia with the whole, you know, they did the whole, you know, CBS special thing. Yeah, yeah. When it came, you know, it was, oh, it's going to be something good. And and that was so smart to do it that way, too, because it really does twinge this little, you know, flavor section of your brain that's like, oh, I'm gonna, it's going to be something fun. This is this is for me, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and totally. God, so it was perfect. It was a perfect little bite of camp and well-written, extremely well-produced, just fabulous. So yeah, fun. I just like, so this is fun. kind of like what, um, you know, Tim Burton kind of is no longer doing that I, I wish he was. Like, it sort of had yep. that vibe of, like, what I expect out of, like, good Tim Burton. Yep. Um But, uh, yeah, it's just sweet. It's funny. It's kind of, there's something very queer about it. Yeah. sort of, like, you know, relationship with, uh, without getting into spoilers, like, um, you know, the werewolf and other creatures and uh, kind of chosen family. It sort of leans into that, obviously, a little bit. Um, and it's just... It's lean, and with all the Marvel bloat totally. and, and all being kind of the same, it was just so nice to see something that was different and, you know, not kind of world-shattering, just sort of like right. fun, small stakes in a contained environment that totally. looks great. The production design is beautiful. Um, yeah, Doing it in black and white was so smart. Yeah, Werewolf by Night, perfect Halloween thing if you want something quick and easy. It's so much better than you think. I still don't know what the title means. I keep thinking about it because I'm like, well, that's always... I mean, why werewolves? Right? <laughs> I'm like, werewolf by day would be more interesting, but that's not what but happens. Yep. So, like, <laughs> it's a really funny title because it's like, what by day? Like, that's a, the weir- That's part of the package of a werewolf. <laughs> yep. Um, so, no, I agree. It's... Anyways, that's on Disney. Go check it out. Uh, we should. We didn't say Midnight Club is on Netflix if you want to check that out. Uh, the other thing we both watched was um, 20 minutes, maybe, half hour for generous. Maybe a half an hour. Um, of the highly discussed for, you know, a whole half news cycle, right. maybe one full news cycle. Uh, Billy Eichner, gay, the first romantic gay comedy by a major motion picture. Sure, if you like really split hairs, bros. Um, so uh, I'm just going to kind of set the stage here by saying I was rooting for this movie. Yeah. I liked uh, Difficult People like a whole lot. I talked about it on this podcast, I think. I actually think Billy Eichner is funny, you know, uh I liked Billy on the street when it's funny. I'm on his side. I'm glad he's making queer romantic comedies and putting like a pretty diverse cast in it. And, you know, politically on Twitter, he's like really active about fundraising and he seems like a generally like a good person. Um, And I think the expectations put upon this movie were definitely like part of the problem. And I blame some of that on the marketing. Like it just, the expectations of it being this Judd Apatow, like crossover smash, like whatever it was never going to be that. Um, there was a whole blow up afterwards of when this movie did not do well, that whose fault it was had some terrible, I mean, they weren't terrible. They were just sort of tone deaf tweets about kind of blaming straight people for not going to see this movie. And it's like, uh, kind of blaming everybody you, you, for not going to see the movie. You just also just told on yourself that you made this gay rom-com for straight people, which, like, you should have thought about the queer people first. Um, there's a scene in this movie that, I, for me, I think I said this to you, like, identifies the problem in a total nutshell, where his hot Chelsea boyfriend 
And I, I'm not here to be like, Billy Eichner couldn't get a hot Chelsea boyfriend or whatever. That's like so people have been, I'm like, that's not what we're here for. People have right. different spectrums of a, like what they're attracted to, whatever. We got enough of that in our own community without people telling movie actors about that. But what bothered me was that they go to this museum and this hunky kind of gay Chelsea cliche doesn't know who Marsha P. Johnson is. And he's telling him who Marsha P. Johnson is in this really condescending, awful way. And all I can think is, A, I would never date anyone who didn't know who Marsha P. Johnson was. And I don't believe that Billy Eichner would either. Right. And two, even if I didn't know who Marsha P. Johnson was, anybody who told me who she was like that, I would fucking run screaming right. from that date and like, never look back. So you're an <laughs> asshole. So yes. these are just like totally unlikable, I mean, unbelievable characters. And and I, to the movie's credit, the guy is like, you're an asshole. Yeah. And ditches him. Yeah. You know, but... I didn't watch the rest of the movie, but I assume they live happily ever after. Yeah, and I'm sure, and I know some of this, again, is just like tropes of romantic right. comedies where you make them sort of terrible so right. that you sort of fall in love with them. Um, I And everyone was like, well, if you go back and watch uh, When Harry Met Sally, they're both terrible. I'm like, yes. I don't think they were that terrible. They were funny and charming. Yeah, in they, but way. I mean, they were broken. They but were broken. Not, yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the difference, right? Yeah. It's like broken versus like aggressively like hostile was right. just like, it was a really unpleasant first half hour. And like, look, maybe, I know, look, I know, you know, this is YA. I know it's also technically a coming out story. But you're going to tell me that Love, Simon wasn't a romantic comedy from a major motion picture? Because I'm going to tell you it was. Right. And I'm going to tell you that it was successful. And I'm going to tell you that it was delightful. And you should probably go watch it. And I, you know, and it's a coming out story in a way that it's not a message story. It's not about queer trauma. Yeah. It is much more about someone discovering who they are and what that means. Yeah. And... And I think it's only a coming out story because it's YA. Yeah. Not because the characters would be closeted at any other time. And um, and I just, I didn't think, yes, we deserve our R-rated queer rom-com. Not saying we don't. But that doesn't mean it's so jaded and hard and yeah. unpleasant and everyone's mean and yelling at each other and fighting yeah. like all the peripheral characters were fighting with each other nobody at this you know at the oh the queer the museum, queer museum was, like... was nice to each other and it was like look i've been in a lot of queer nonprofit spaces and people aren't that mean to each other they're no. not all that confrontational and awful. And there's a certain... And to play into that stereotype yeah. is yucky and I don't like it. This is where I get into my next territory is like, you're sitting here waving the flag of diversity and tooting your own horn that you did it, but then you gave these people characters where they literally went, well, what about bisexual week? Well, what about the lesbians? Yeah. Well, what? It's like, really? And that's this is who like... the straight people that you're playing to think we are and they're not even going to go yeah. see it, so why give that to them? Yeah, it was... Yeah. It was it was upsetting. <laughs> yeah, and I think that I think I just we just nitpicked into the heart of what upset me about it. It was like, yeah. okay, you are throwing us under the bus in an effort to be more mainstream and make us all and you've whittled us away to these you know, like oh ha ha, we can all laugh at each other instead of how about we just don't 
do that. Exactly. Like, we can all just sort of, like, smartly assume that these are capable, smart, accomplished people that can have comedy through other means right. of even disagreement. You can, you can make a couple like, of those jokes. <laughs> yeah. But that's... That was the whole, you know, the, the trans guy, you know, trans character was the trans character. The bisexual guy was the skinny, probably, you know, was the skinny, like, bespeckled, you know, I'm bisexual guy. And people wouldn't think I'm bisexual because they just think I'm gay. And It's like you narrowed everybody down to the smallest pigeonhole and then called it diversity. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and I'm sure, I mean, I read ahead a little bit. I'm sure that him learning that is part of the message but it's like we all know that we're yes. like i'm sorry if you need queer butts in your seats to support your movie don't spend the first half hour being like okay i'm gonna try and show something that like is some version of queer life that's gonna be completely right. alienating well, okay, to the actual queer right. people in this theater because the straights are here yeah it's so just, we have to tell the straights it's like yeah, right. the expression flop sweat and the, yes. the movie is a flop obviously so it has an extra layer here but like yeah. you could feel the flop sweat yeah. in every turn of that movie and i'm yep. sad because yep you had so much fucking money and power and mm-hmm. access and I know that they were trying to do something good. Yes. And, uh, and that's part of what's so frustrating. frustrating. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I can't say we finished it. So I feel a little weird. Like we were even debating whether we should talk about it. But sometimes you got to go with your gut. Like, yep. it, was this movie any worse than many movies we've sat through on a technical whatever level? No. But when sometimes a movie like gets you in the like wrong like Right. Way, I did not laugh like I laughed at Unholy. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was not funny that's nope. the other thing it's like i'm down for like a difficult people larry david like mean comedy but like you gotta be smart about that yeah. and this was not so yep. um all right what have you been doing on your own i watched american gigolo on showtime you were so excited about it well i was interested because i do like john bernthal and i you know i have it burned into my memory because I was eight years old when I saw the movie and Paul Schrader and it is a very, you know, like it's a very seminal film and very eighties. And like, you can sort of feel the pink light coming through the (laughs) Venetian blinds. And, you know, it's like Bruce Springsteen and Richard Gere are the two men that I see in front of Venetian blinds. (laughs) And they're because of, you know, the, the, what's, What's the album that Springsteen's in front of the Venetian blinds in? Uh, anyway, one of the very early ones. It might be the it might be the E Street Band. It might be the self-titled one. Anyway, um, and then there's Richard Gere looking into the Venetian blinds for the movie poster of American Gigolo. Anyway, very seminal memories. It's not good. Uh, I'm so Wayne sorry. Brady plays a, a Gigolo. It's weird. <laughs> I assume he's going to be bad because you don't cast Wayne Brady against type if he's not going to be the bad guy. He's the world's oldest gigolo. I mean, he's Wayne Brady's still still a good looking guy. He doesn't look old. Okay, you know, I mean, yeah, he's old, but he doesn't look old. Um, Is this set in modern times? Yeah, well, yeah, twenty sixteen. Okay. And then there's told in like a series of super complicated three different timelines flashbacks. And it's just really all about how anybody that goes anywhere near being a sex worker is probably because they have some sort of sexual trauma in their past, which 
I get is often the case, but it's often not anymore, you guys. And the best thing in this show is Rosie O'Donnell. She's fucking hilarious. She's great. Uh, she is the cop yeah, she's who's still trying. Good roles. Yeah, I think, and I think Showtime's helping her with that. Awesome. This has some pieces in it that's good, but it's like. It's leaning into the noir, but the mystery isn't that interesting. Everything is so obvious, like, from the get. Like, there's, you know, Gretchen Mole plays his girlfriend that was married, but they fell in love. But then he went to prison, and probably it may be her husband that framed him to get them there in the first place. And, oh, she has a 15-year-old son. You know how long he was in prison for? 15 years. <laughs> oh, and then you it takes 10 minutes to realize that the kid that plays John Bernthal in the flat in the flashbacks and the kid that's playing the missing kid is the same actor but they do his right. hair. Now I will give them that they do his hair weird enough that you're like wait oh it's the same actor so of course it is his kid duh it's there's nothing here it's a nothing burger it's an it's a nothing noir burger and I'm very sad and I wish people would understand like somebody needs to put John Bernthal in the right thing because he's the bear was he perfect. You didn't get enough time, though. But, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like he is so fucking charismatic and he's so talented and nobody has quite yet figured out what to do with him. Yeah. I think the closest somebody came was me and Earl and the Dying Girl, where he plays like the super smart teacher. <laughs> and he was really good in that. He's going to they're going to figure it out and he's going to get the right role. But this, unfortunately, is not it, except for watch the two minute credit opening scene where he's like just right, running around being like a gigolo and in his cool car while they play Call Me. <laughs> I would watch yeah. that five minutes of like it's like <laughs> watching wait. a 90s video all over again. It's fucking great. Right. But it's the show is nothing. Yeah. Um, speaking of nothing. Did you know that Trace Atkins and Susan Sarandon are in this this like like. I am the person that loved Nashville till it's dying moments, but only because Connie Britton and Chip Easton and I liked the music and it had started out so well. And by the time it went to country music television, it was terrible, but I didn't care because I was invested in the characters. This is like Nashville. If like the Empire people got like really sick and anemic. (laughs) And decided to make Nashville as Empire. It had strong Empire but like, vibes. They yeah. had like amnesia, so they forgot what made Empire fun. <laughs> right, right. And instead just threw, I don't know, Trace Adkins in a lead role. Like, yeah. He just like cocks a shotgun and says shit like, I know you're not going to tell me that I killed my wife. <laughs> It looks really bad. It's almost <laughs> worth watching. It's so bad. Yeah. It, uh, David Thelwis's ex-wife is in it, and she has a really bad accent, too. There's a lot of bad British accent work going around here. Susan Sarandon is terrible. There's a little but I mean, of, like, okay, Susan, that's where you are right now. With it's, your, like, <laughs> it is. And yet, I put it on the, like, I only watch it on my, like, little screen while I'm cooking. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. I cannot pay too close of attention to it. Because, again, Trace Atkins, I know you're not going to tell me I kill my wife. And then they're like, you know, like flashback scenes of people burying bodies in the rain. And then uh, this is the most anemic of train wrecks I've ever seen. I wish it were a two-hour movie I could laugh at. Yeah, it's yeah. not. Don't. Um, and we're going to go into the vampire portion of our television <laughs> show now. Um, I watched, okay, 
the first episode of Let the Right One In, uh, the first episode of Vampire Academy, and the first episode of Interview with the Vampire. Oh, I'm glad somebody watched that. Interview with the Vampire. Good. Please watch it. I want to keep going. I will talk more later. I only did one episode, and I want to keep going. It is very good. I am really enjoying it. Uh, Vampire Academy is like exhibition. Exhibition. No. Wow. Exhibition. You know, where they give a lot of information and they dump it. Exposition. Exposition. Thank you. Dump. And I've read the book, so I didn't need it. And I... I wanted to like this so much because the movie, the books are a lot of fun, even though the author, and I will say this on the air, was really bitchy to me at a, at a <laughs> signing once and like shit all over my, like my little bit of writing that I had good news about. And she was not nice to me. Ugh. So I, and this isn't related to vampire diaries. No. Really? Okay. That's LJ Smith. Okay. This is Rochelle Mead. And, uh, there was a movie like sort of campy movie with Zoe Deutsch and, uh, Ben Barnes and, um, Gabriel Byrne okay. and, and, it was actually kind of fun. Based on the same Yes. Property. Now, this okay. actually is taking the property and, and sort of adapting it more toward the actual books and might get better, but I'm not going to stick with it. Too much vampire stuff. Let the right now. Time. Sh- bite your tongue. <laughs> I mean, I'm a basic bitch. I will watch any v- vampire thing for at least 10 minutes. Let the right one in. Watch the movies. Read the book. I like Daniel Bashir moving this to modern day New York city takes the claustrophobia of the suburb, the suburbs and in the eighties out of it, which is so much is so important to the telling of the story. It's so that, Scandinavian too. The yeah. Story. It's and like, that's why, yeah. that's why it's okay. If you take it and you put it on Ohio in 1984, yeah. it, those bullies can be like that yeah. this it's not, not the right setting for it and yeah. they've changed they've changed just enough it's this dad and and vampire child that are looking for a cure and that they're looking for a cure is just skewed enough away from him raising this sort of all right, I'm going to go into some... If you haven't read the book or you haven't seen the movies, here's 20-year-old spoilers for Let the White Right went in. This young vampire sucks in these men and makes them father figures so that she can... So that the young vampire can continue to survive. And it's the vampire's manipulation and violence that is the story. So the idea that this is an actual father trying to find a cure with a creature that doesn't want to be violent anymore takes so much of the bite away that I'm and and, and Showtime taking the bite away from something I don't get it <laughs> so let the right one in I'll probably end up watching one or two more it's not my thing it's not going to be so yeah. if you're going to watch one of the vampire things watch interview with the vampire it's actually very very good nice um I am nearly done uh, caught up on for all mankind this is still continues to be a really good show that I wish you would watch and then we can talk about it. It's... Season two of the Nexium show on HBO. That's already um, out? Yeah. Wow. It just started on Monday. Um, this is a really smart documentary. It's incredibly well paced. It moves along well. This one is this is now several of the main players are in jail and it's being told now from the points of view basically of the people that still believe in him, including 
my Battlestar Galactica girl. Oh no! Yeah, she's oh, still a Renary girl and uh, like dances for him out in front of the prison, uh, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and um, so I remember when we talked about this, it was like, uh, is there going to be enough new to add to this story, or and is it, it is. really just there's only going to be six episodes? Okay, and I do feel like they they're constructing it, and this idea, you know, they're they're. Kind of telling all of the women's tales now. That the first one was sort of like, okay, this is Ranieri, and these are the, the the four people that got out. Now this is his main person that he manipulated into helping him for like forty years, uh, Nancy Salzman, and now she's sort of coming out of it. And so it's they're talking about her, and then the women that are still devoted to him, and then the the women who are not still devoted. Okay. To him. So it's it's very interesting. Um, God, I'll try it. Yeah. I doubt I wouldn't. Watch uh-huh. the Lincoln Project on Showtime, which is about the Lincoln Project. I, right. The you know the conservatives yeah. who turned against Trump and and turned into a super PAC, and I couldn't turn this off. I, I, I Those people see this. people are pieces of shit. Yeah. Which I kind of knew, but yeah. I I this is super interesting. I don't want to go too much into it. I I would recommend watching it. It's very much let the next one play because it's set up very well. They they know when to end their episodes so that you let the next one play. Yeah. Um, I really thought this was interesting and good, and and especially since you know so much of the story behind the Lincoln Project is oh look at these great you know right. conservatives that turned on Trump, yeah. and if it wasn't for them. We wouldn't have, you know, Trump would be president again, or and boy, they're willing to sell that story too. Right. When really, they're again, they're a super PAC. Right. You know, they yeah. are, they are the problem. Yeah. You know? So, right. it's very interesting. I I liked it a lot. Uh, on Hulu, oh that that Lincoln Project's on Showtime. On Hulu is uh, Rosaline. This is Caitlin Deaver and um, Minnie Driver. And uh, Bradley Whitfield and um, Kyle Allen, I believe is his name, who was in The Path. This is Romeo and Juliet, uh, you know. Oh, with, right, right. Uh, uh, I can't, here's another word I can't come up with today. Anachronistic language and music and, you know, and all of that. And uh, basically, if Romeo and Ju- what if Romeo and Juliet were just as vapid and st- silly as the as William Shakespeare meant for them to be but Rosalind was his first love and this was fucking delightful nice it's oh, good. so sweet and funny and Caitlin Deaver's so winning and there was one scene Bradley Whitford made me cry and Minnie Driver it just I mean she's so lovely this was just it's a really fun hour and a half you won't regret watching it you nice. know it it yeah, you know, going along that there's going to be this sort of like, you know, that in modern language with modern song thing. You're going to get those jokes. It's it's not as good as a night ta- as as a night's tale, but very fun, very nice. cute, uh, super passable, and embraces the you know what Romeo and Juliet probably wouldn't have lasted forever. Right, right. <laughs> Which duh. Um, uh, I love you. You hate me. This is a uh, documentary about Barney oh, and how Barney got creative. You really created. watched the stuff. <laughs> uh, I did. Um, did you know that the second guy that played Barney is like a tantric sex worker? Oh my god! Because he is. Oh no! Um, and he'll tell you all about it. 
Uh-huh. I only watched an episode and a half of this, but this is some weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting. This is how Barney came across. Okay. My main thing that I know about Barney is that um, Martin uh, Pistori, I might be pronouncing his last name incorrectly, he was a guy who, when I think he was 12, when he got like a super rare type of meningitis and went into like what they thought he was just a vegetative state where he couldn't, and they thought he couldn't feel or hear or communicate in any way. And so his parents ended up, you know, like he lived at home, but they had to put him in like homes and stuff during the day. And he was kind of mistreated, but he wasn't in a vegetative state. Like he could feel, but he couldn't communicate and look this up. I swear to God, this is true. He was being somewhat mistreated at a home that he was in, in, uh, in, Britain and um, they would just put him in front of Barney like four or five hours a day and then he would end up they'd like spill tea on him and it would burn him and and he couldn't tell anybody because he couldn't communicate and finally he said I cannot words cannot describe how much I hated that fucking dinosaur (laughs) and finally the will to figure out how to communicate just with his eyes came from I have to stop getting put in front of Barney (laughs) and I love you, you hate me, really explains nice. a lot about Barney. But nice. that is my, I, when I think of Barney, I think of that he's so awful that it saved this man from a vegetarian state. I will probably skip that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Little Demon, has the season finale is tonight. The show makes me sob. I love this show. This is also, this is FX slash Hulu this is the Aubrey Plaza, Danny DeVito and his daughter. I think her name is Lucy DeVito animated thing that ends up being really sweet about family. I can't wait for the season finale and I want for it to get renewed. Um, also a uh, season finale on Sunday of House of the Dragon. I'm still watching. I don't know why. <sighs> the Handmaid's Tale is really awful, um, except for the last episode then had a really good... Um, interchange between June and Serena where June helps Serena give birth and it turned a few things on its head. This is still not worth, not worth watching, but that episode was actually good. The patient is still happening. I think it also has its finale this week. So I will watch that and let you know what I think of that. Are you still in mostly? Yeah, I'm still mostly in. It's, it's gotten very interesting, When it's all the way over, I will talk about some some more. Um, American Horror Story NYC premiered. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like this. I think I'm out after one and a half. Oh, my God. Because, you know, there's always a point in the season where I just thought, I think I I, I turned it off halfway through the second episode, and I think that's it. I think I'm done. I like they're not even trying to come up with scary titles anymore. It's just like NYC. Well, that is, that's where the, 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 there's a serial killer in NYC. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I tried but did not get far in drama, in Dahmer and Reasonable Doubt. Neither one of them are for me on varying levels of ick. Um, uh, Stephen King's newest book, Fairy Tale. I really, really, really liked this book a lot. It's really, honestly, at its core, Stephen, you're an old softy, and we all know it. It's really, at its core, just a love story about what dogs mean to humans. 
It's like literally I think he wanted to tell that story (laughs) and then built this whole crazy world, other, you know, world around it. But basically it's the story of a kid who falls in love with an old dog and so finds another world where he can figure out a way to save this old dog. Nice. And that's when then the dog has to save him. That's what this. It's beautiful. I love it. Really I, liked I it. Totally, that might be my next actual Stephen King like try. Yep. So. Really liked it. Yeah. Uh, I have been watching not nearly as much stuff. Uh, I did finish The Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. Uh, I loved this. I thought it totally nailed the ending. I am talking to a lot of people who are nitpicking at it and think it's dumb. And Oh, I've heard only good things. Yeah, I, I have a whole text thread with, uh, you will never listen, Rebecca and Joe and Philip, but uh, they seem to mostly be annoyed by it. And I thought Aww. it was delightful and um, silly, but like uh, it's Lord of the Rings, so of course it's silly. And it was hopeful, and it Aww. moved along at a brief, at a nice clip, and it looked beautiful. And I actually like the acting. I've heard some complaints about the acting. I love kind of what they're doing with this. It was very economic storytelling. It's sort of all the little, like, mystery box things that it set up. It was like, here are the ones we set up this season. Answer them. Set up for next season. Like, it's just... Uh, for me a model of like efficient like how to tell a season of television where you like wrap up your story and you get on to the next one and I'm excited for it so um, totally been really happy with that I probably will end up somewhere on my year end list because I love it oh I'm so glad Um, I'm in for the Harfoots I love those little wannabe fake non-copyright violating hobbits uh, the Harfoots Um, (laughs) The Watcher on Netflix this is Ryan Murphy Ryan Murphying the fuck up. It is based on this true story about this creepy guy who wrote ominous letters to they this don't actually know who horrible, horrible couple. This is the problem watching this show. If you, I read the article years ago and knew that there was no resolution to this case. So you're like, what nonsense is Ryan Murphy going to make up? What he does give you along the way. I'm not totally done, so I don't know exactly what he whips up, but he does give you... Um, well, he gives you, know, you Martin Dale and Kind in matching... Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> sitting track on, suits, like, right? Yeah, sitting in, like, lawn chairs. That's all um, I know first. Mia Farrow in pigtails dressed like American Gothic, like, neighbor-shaming people um, in a menacing way. Um, Bobby Cannavale and Naomi Watts, like, not aging at all. and yeah, looking they look good. So god damn beautiful both of them um and they kind of like make it sort of watchable and fun um and just lots of bit actors and everybody's acting like they're in an entirely different movie (laughs) like some people think they're doing like john water some think they're doing you know uh lynch but everybody agrees it's a fucking ryan murphy production because it is campy as fuck it's not scary at all I can't stop watching it. It's like terrible, but actually really enjoyable. This is Ryan Murphy at like what I want. I'm just like, go banana pants. Don't try and be serious. Like this is way more fun. Um, I'm sure the end will be terrible because he's going to have to make up some ending that won't make any sense. Uh, books. I have a lot of books. Uh, first collection of criticism by a living female rock critic uh, by Jessica Hopper. She is a music critic who that wrote... a title, man. It is quite a title and apparently mostly true, which is fucking sad. It tells you a lot right there that there's only been, I think, like one real, one or two real collections of uh, rock writing by a female critic and those people have passed 
on. And so this is the only currently living female rock critic collection. It's really good. She's great. Um, She's especially good at sort of like writing about scenes, kind of rock scenes. I think she's sort of like better at that than writing about the actual like music or the artists. Like she really understands tribes in music, which I find really fascinating. Um, A lot of fun. I tore through that in a minute. Um, She's great. White Smoke. This is a book by Tiffany Jackson. Um, it's I guess billed as YA. It's a uh, Tiffany Jackson's YA. Yeah. Um, it <laughs> yet again. I keep falling for this thing where I'm like ghost story. I read these like ghost story lists, and that appeared on it. I was really enjoying this book. It's I actually recommend it. I think it's good. It's like a haunted house story that has all sorts of really interesting sort of like racial sort of gentrification kind of questions it is about a uh you know a black young black woman who's basically got a white stepfather and they're trying to all make it work and it's a blended family and it's really sort of moves along well and you're like where's this going this is great spoiler there's no ghosts involved and god damn it i like i want ghosts (laughs) when you promise me ghosts and you do a great job of selling me ghosts then don't be like there's no ghosts like because you're going to say something stupid when you tell me what's the not ghost. I'd much rather just, like, have a ghost. Thank you. So I'm nixing ghost teases. Stop it. Have <laughs> like, you read Anna Dressed in Blood? I don't think so. Does it have an actual ghost? Yeah, there's a ghost. a ghost. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is this new trend. It's like people tease a ghost, and it's always, like, some dumb person living in, like, the basement or the walls or whatever. And I'd have gotten away with it, too, if it <sighs> weren't for you meddling kids. It just takes the... I, it's, it makes me so mad because it's always so ridiculous. It's like, that's more ridiculous than a ghost. <laughs> uh, wow. T, T. Kingfisher, uh, What Moves the Dead? This is a book that Fanny recommended to me a long time ago. And I put it on my Libby list and read it and then got excited about it and promptly told, told her all about, about it. it. Um, but she had apparently told me about it, which is why it was on my Libby list. Uh, this is good. It's a retelling of... Again, the fall of the House of the Usher, uh, but with like mushrooms as the sort of evil kind of whatever sentient evil that's causing everyone to go crazy and come back from the dead. This is fun. I liked it. It moved along well. I finished it and was like, well, what what did that add to the story? And I went back and I reread the story and I was like, well, I read the description of the plot. And I was like, I don't think they really added much to the story. I don't know why this book exists, but if you want to reread Fall of the House of the Usher in a fun, brisk retelling with a you know non-binary character as the lead, sure, why not? Cool cover, yeah, cool cover, and actually good writing. Like I, I liked the actual writing was what sort of kept it moving. Um, music. I haven't done a good music corner in a while. Music corner. That's the theme song. Um, today was the Taylor Swift (laughs) release. It was, as they say, Tay Day. Um, as I tweeted. Who are they? And can I have a conversation with them? (laughs) These are the Swifties. And as I tweeted and Fanny, you know, said she was going to read aloud, but all this tap myself out here. I, uh, actually said I Googled the time of release of Taylor Swift's Midnight's last night. So I'm now officially a Swifty, I guess. Um, it did come and out. And you misspelled Swifty. And then I misspelled Swifty. <laughs> I had to correct myself. That's the like, important part. I was like, that doesn't look right. Um, and of course, it came out at midnight. <laughs> it's, yeah. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, but it came out at 9 o'clock here. So that was the thing. We got some time to digest it. I have gone on record as really, really, really liking these last couple Taylor Swift albums. I was surprised how much I liked them. I sort of had not really ever engaged with her music that much before she did these two especially pandemic albums that were really just gorgeous kind of folk 
weird, like sort of indie folk experimental stuff that really suited her voice and her songwriting. And I just, I love those albums. I think they're truly like masterpieces of the last like 10 years. Um, so I was very excited for this, but she went back to working with Jack Antonoff, who's from like that band fun and was like Lena Dunham's boyfriend for a while. And he's done like Lord and he's done uh, Lana Del Rey. And he keeps working with these women who are all sort of cut from a very similar sort of like, you know, gorgeous supermodel, but quirky cloth or whatever. And he turns all of their music into just like this bland. I described it as somebody today as like, it's like a fucking Christmas candle at a pier one. Like that's Mm -hmm. what this like, album smells like and it's not it's a like teen spirit not like teen spirit and it's a fine line you know it's like i i get why a lot of taylor swift probably is like almost sounds like that but there's something about her best work that doesn't and this was just like really disappointing it's like i was bored i struggled getting through it so i'm sad sorry swifties maybe this will get people to come like yell at us on uh, cause the Swifties are, no, they, yep. they get into it. Come at us Swifties. Let's test you. <laughs> see, see how good your voice, uh, search recognition filters are to search podcasts. Come, come yell at us. We'll talk about Taylor Swift. Um, but there's been a ton of good music. And Scientology. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the yeah, yeah, yeah's have a new album out. Um, they haven't had an album in a while. Uh, I always liked them, but I, I'm totally alone here in another way where I love this new Yeah album. It's beautiful. It's like you talk about the American Gigolo 80s driving around with the light. Right. It sort of evokes that sort of 80s apocalyptic kind of feeling, right. but like stylish. Um, but it's really melodic. And I think uh, Karen O, the singer, has turned into a really great singer. And yeah, she, her voice used to kind of get on my nerves. So I, I really just think this is a beautiful kind of like gothic pop album which is not always my thing but i love this one uh tegan and sarah another band that's been around forever do you know tegan and sarah they're um canadian twin sisters lesbians Leah duvall is directing their show that's on freebie oh nice that's right they have a show this is their new album crybaby it is super fun and poppy they've kind of their last two albums got a little flack because they leaned hard into this sort of poppy thing this album sort of pulls back into the quirky pop part of it they used to be a little more like rocky and guitar-y this is just like really fun weird pop it's just right up my lane i'm loving it um charlotte uh uh didgery is a singer from london she is somebody just turned me on to her recently i didn't really know anything about her but she has a couple albums it's super fun like she does like like they used to call it world beat but it's sort of like dance music with a lot of african influences but sort of pop and dancey um just like the most fun kind of dance pops it's like someone's described as laurie anderson that you can dance to and i think it's a perfect description it's like got those sort of fun like existential like questions in these songs but they're great dance songs um finally i wanted to play a little bit of an artist who's lesser known uh rick hakeem who I did not know about until just this week. Um, he is Brooklyn-based. His uh, parentage, is his ancestry is like Peruvian and Chilean. So he's got sort of this, you know, it's different than sort of typical like Brooklyn soul and that it's something feels just a little like different coming over a different place. Um, it's sort of like psychedelic soul. If you're into the Steve Lacey song, that's currently like the number one song in the country, which is blowing my mind. This is to me a better version, but it's sort of in the same lane of just like, people taking real like soul music and making it weird and kind of psychedelic and indie. And he's got this great 
sad, weird sound, which is kind of rare. My brain is right now with music. Sad, weird. Yeah, that's what I like. And uh, the, sounds. Yeah, the album is Cometa. This song is called Happen. Let's take a listen. Okay, that was Rick Hakim. Uh, all right. We, as usual, found plenty to talk about, even when mm-hmm. I think we don't. Uh, we will be back soon to talk about some new stuff, because I think we're getting into the season of, you know, the award of movies season? and all that kind of stuff. Um, yes. You still haven't seen Woman King. Hopefully we'll get you. Not. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll find some stuff to talk about soon. So, mm-hmm. uh, all right. We'll talk. My boys are oh. going to be here by next week. So Yes. And you can... Basically, tell us your thoughts on what we've been watching and what you've been watching at Facebook, at the Knicks Podcast. Uh, you can email us at motionandnix at gmail.com. We are both on Twitter. I'm at Justin Hartung on Twitter. I'm at Fanny V. Darling, and the podcast is at the Knicks Podcast. Give us a shout, Swifties. We'll talk oh, to you next God. time. Schmientologist. <laughs>